Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's not a conversation that you practice having all through, you know, those different ages of raising your children. I think that a lot of parenting, when you think about it, is grieving what was whilst simultaneously trying to be excited about what's to come in the next stage. There is evidence that suggests that if you start these awkward, more difficult conversations younger, that just opens the door for all those conversations that get harder and harder and harder. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. Hello and welcome to today's very important episode on the Elevate podcast. We are going to discuss a topic that is not always widely discussed. Schools can only spend a few hours a year talking about it. Appointments, most widely with paediatricians, do not have or allow sufficient time to discuss the entire course on these subjects. And parents who may well have best intentions, sometimes miss important opportunities to discuss sensitive subjects such as the one today because they may not have the perfect thing to say. The topic that we are referring to is puberty and sex. Thankfully, this is the gap that my guest today is so happy to assist with. She is here to help guide parents, carers and educators through this exciting and of course completely ox time of change. My guest in her role as a paediatrician understands the medical side of puberty and as a mum herself, she fully understands the worry and angst around the emotions that people have in this stage. It was during their residency in paediatrics in Michigan, USA, when two colleagues realized they shared a passion for adolescent health, puberty talk, and art projects. Together, they formed what is now known as Turning Teen to help tweens transition into adolescence without shame, secrecy, or embarrassment. Turning Teen workshops are geared to engage your child in learning about their body with you by their side. The programs are interactive, providing age-appropriate, medically accurate information that your child will understand. They offer resources and suggestions for how you can continue the conversation at home and she and her team are there for you to answer and ask the hard questions so you as parents and carers don't have to. Quite simply, she says, talking about the details of puberty and knowing all the answers to quids questions just is not an easy thing for parents to do. As doctors, we are very well versed in talking about bodies, puberty and sex. Whether we are in the office, amongst friends or colleagues, we are in the know. And so we are here to start the conversation with you and for you, with your child, so you can carry them on in the comforts of your own home. Well, thank goodness for you and of course now your growing team. A very, very warm welcome to you, Dr. Lisa Klein. Thank you so much for coming on to the Elevate podcast and talking to us about this very important part of adolescent growth. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this and to help people because that's what we love to do, take some pressure off of everybody. Brilliant. Yeah, that's so helpful. I, I'm already excited about diving in because I think, as you say, your aim is to provide direct, informative and honest information about puberty and sexuality. And I think this is such an interesting stage of growth for young people, but also it brings up a lot of angst and worry and anxiety for parents and children. Do you think it's a common set of emotions that you find? And do you think people get overly anxious during this stage of growth? 
Yes, yes, and yes. Um, that is why, you know, pediatricians can do what they do. And that is why we created Turning Team. Because even parents with the best intentions and trying to find the right resources, it's not a conversation that you practice having. It's not a conversation that you're regularly having all through, you know, those different ages of raising your children. So this is a topic that is anxiety provoking. It causes fear um, because it's fear of the unknown. Right. So for the child, it's the unknown of what's about to happen to them. For the parent, it's the unknown of I've never had to tell a kid what's going to happen to them or how it's going to go. And right, because you've only experienced it kind of once and you were the one going through it. So there are a lot of questions how to handle this. And, you know, the best analogy um, when, you know, I bring it up in the office is, hey, do you think you're going through puberty yet? And the kid looks at the mom and the mom looks at the kid and it's like deer headlights for both of them. And no one even knows what to say because you and I are going to say the word puberty, I don't know, a hundred times in the next hour. But most people just don't talk about that. Um, so that's what we're here to do. Sure. And I'm going to get on to that because I think there's a lot of um, the words that I'm going to use as shame, but we're going to talk about these misconceptions and why we have these feelings in a minute. But before I wanted to touch on a, to a little thing that you said earlier, which I find very intriguing, that it's something that we've only ever gone through once ourselves. But I was really intrigued by the idea that sometimes um, puberty is viewed as a time for some as one of grief when you're parenting in the same way that one has to accept that their baby is no longer a baby when they enter this whole toddler stage you grieve the the loss of the newborn and once again when your sweet innocent child is on their way into adulthood parents start to even subconsciously and maybe not know it but they are grieving the fact that they are losing their child their baby into adulthood would you agree with that I would I think that a lot of parenting uh, when you think about it, is grieving kind of what was while simultaneously trying to be excited about what's to come in the next stage. But right. So, you know, we try to, to teach this independence to our children as they're growing up. Okay, so we have a baby drinking from a bottle. When is our baby just going to learn to hold their own bottle? Then we get kind of sad. Maybe the kid doesn't need us, right? Or you want your toddler to learn to brush their own teeth. Because, oh, can you just go brush your teeth, right? Can you get content? And then, oh, I kind of missed those days when they needed me to brush their teeth. <laughs> so, right, there's lots of examples like that of this independence. Um, and, you know, put yourself to bed, make your own lunch. So now I have teens and teens in my house. My boys are 13 and 16. And some days I'm like, gosh, no one needs me too much. So I, I think there is a lot of grief in parenting. And I think this time of puberty is a time of our kids wanting independence, us giving independence, right? Puberty, adolescence, they're obviously two different things, but they're, they're at the same time of life. So this whole key of we want our kids to become independent, our kids want that independence, they want to kind of cut off the leash a little bit, um, makes parents grieve. It's, I think a good analogy is like a swim lesson or teaching your kid to swim. They want to go off, they want to let go, but don't be too far away in case, you know, I, I can't swim anymore and, and I'm not sure what to do so you can grab them real quick right? That distance just kind of gets a little bigger and bigger and bigger as we get older, as we get better at swimming. Um, and as we figure out this, this uh, navigating of the adolescence. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. And hit, you've hit the nail on the head with the, the fear of the unknown is something and it's uncomfortable and we don't what, you know, and I think there's a lot of support and a lot of talk around how to get your child to drink or eat independently and how to get them to sleep through the night independently. And, you know, there's a lot of information around that it leads me on to the idea of how you feel or what do you feel are the biggest misconceptions that young folks have about puberty? And also, what can we do about the negative 
associations with puberty that I hope are improving with each generation, but they still come with certain stigmas or taboos. And I wonder if you come across any of this in your work and what stigmas you are working to try and break, if any. Right, so let's, let me tackle question one, which I, I think is um, what, what are the things that kids are, are perhaps you know, unsure of about puberty, um, what's unknown. And I think that they're, they're scared. They're scared because they don't have the information. And it's our job to demystify that. It's our job as parents, adults, educators, doctors, they're tr- we, we like to use the word trusted adults and turning teen you know, in my office, just because not everyone, right, does a parent or maybe they're being raised by an aunt or a grandparent, you know, whoever their trusted adult is, our job is to help them and teach them and educate them, right? Because we there's no reason for it to be scary and overwhelming. And I think one thing that kids often think is puberty is going to physically hurt. I, they, they think that a lot in my office. I don't want to go through puberty. It's going to hurt. No, right? Um, you know, the grow, and the other thing they don't realize is time. Like it takes three to five years to go through puberty. They, they don't realize that it's such a long time frame. Do you know that movie, um, Jennifer Gardner, 13 going on 30? So that is a 13 year old, wakes up as a 13 year old, she's looking in the mirror and and, you know, we, we joke about that in one of our talks with the girls because we're like, this is not, not how it happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it takes years. So I think those are some common misconceptions that children have. Um, and then the next question was about just other stigmas and taboos and things that go along with puberty. I, I think the main way to overcome all of this is to change our messaging, work on our communication, involve if there's you know two parents in a family, involve every you know all parents, all those trusted adults in that conversation. I think it's very commonly perceived that like to be stereotypical because I do believe this is true. Like it's like mom's job, you know, mom's gonna talk to the daughter, and then is dad gonna talk to his son? Those talks often tend to look a little different also, just stereotypically, you know, shorter, <laughs> focus on different things, or it falls on the mom and we forget moms didn't go through boy puberty, right? So how, how much can you really, can you really share without a medical degree? Um, what I needed, right? To really understand a lot of this. So I think cross-gender parenting is very important and just open lines of communication. Um, I think that people think it's taboo to talk about sex with their kids still. And it's not, it shouldn't be. Um, There is data, research, evidence that suggests that if you start these awkward, more difficult conversations younger, that just opens the door. For all those conversations that get harder and harder and harder. Little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems, little conversations, big conversations. And um, it, it really, really helps. And we can talk about my kids at some point and, and the conversations I have with them um, to, keep, to, to keep it open. And the last thing I'm going to say is um, the school curriculums. Uh, which you mentioned, need help for the most part. I mean, that's not to say some don't do a great job, but what the state, you know, in the United States, what some of the states mandate is like first part of puberty education is HIV. You know, and it blows my mind. They're learning about HIV and bloodborne illnesses. Somehow how that's relating to their puberty. So of course they're scared. And then a year or two later, they get sex ed. <laughs> so the ball still, you know, archaic and messed up. And um, our world is so hypersexualized, and there's so much sexuality and 
know, the imagery and things kids see that I can't believe we're still so behind the times and in a mindset that might be an off-limits conversation. I'm not comfortable talking about that, but we need to be, but we need help as parents to do that. Gosh, you raised so many important points. I think there's so much there that I think we will all be reevaluating in ourselves and, and thinking about in terms of what our own relationship with these huge topics are. And I think it comes back from our own upbringings and where we went to school and what we learned as kids. And you're absolutely right. I think relying on the school systems and educators I've taught in the UK, I've taught in Canada, I've taught in America. And I know you're right that different places offer different types of learning outcomes and what age they are provided to children at. But I think, like we said earlier, media plays such a big role and our friends play a big role in those families that have older siblings can influence how, what age your child learns about certain things because they're strip fed. So there's so many factors here that can change a child's understanding around puberty if we don't get to them first, I think. And that's really important, isn't it? To, for us to really embrace that ownership of responsibility as a carer, as a trusted adult in a child's life and not to assume that they're going to be fine and that they're going to not be scared and like you say the messaging that they're getting around is so highly sexual yet we haven't really got comfortable with that which again speaking of being comfortable around this I wanted to talk to you about something that obviously growing up in an Indian home and being um, brought up with families that really struggled with some of these in my house definitely or in our culturally in my extended family we never called our body parts by their biological anatomical names we were given sort of nicknames for private parts of our body, which I'm not sure is, you know, healthy at all. But I wanted to talk to you because I think somewhere in your work that you've mentioned that you meet a lot of amazing mums and dads and carers and trusted adults. And because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they just retreat to saying nothing at all. Or like in my family, use nicknames. And I wonder if, A, you have any funny anecdotes of these body parts or names that, that you've come across that you might want to share, just so we all feel a little bit at ease if there are others of us that can relate. But I also wondered at what age and stage do you think is the right time to be sharing the correct biological and anatomical names for our body parts? I'll break the ice. I'll give everyone a little laugh for a minute because this has been pretty serious. Um, in our programs, when we ask, you know, hey, you know, what's your name for this part after we teach the anatomy? Some are funny. I would tell you a super common one is for female anatomy. Now, I have to do a moment of teaching. Or So our, the female anatomy, what most people call their vagina is actually their vulva. Okay, because your vagina is your tunnel that goes into your body. But the, you know, the outer part you'd see in the mirror is your vulva. I would say well over half of the awesome moms that come to our program didn't know that. We love when they learn something. And I would tell you, most people call that area of their body a flower. Uh, I've had kids call it their front butt because, you know, (laughs) um, it looks like a butt, but it's a front. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that. Boys names, so they get a little off silly too. You know, water hose is one of my favorites um, that they like to talk about. Their, you know, water hose that can spray people with pee and all sorts of things. So yes, it, it can be fun and it's totally okay to laugh about it, joke about it. And there's zero guilt if you're the parent listening right now and is like, oops, that's us. Well, that's common, right? Yeah. Like, what is your new new hurting, or is your yeah? I mean, bo- your front bottom hurt. Yeah. I mean, I've 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 seen it, in, you know, as well in schools and playgrounds when children are trying to explain something to you, especially when they're really little, and you're on playground duty, and they come out with the phrase that you're not quite sure what they're referring to. This is science, okay? This is just like we call our heart our heart, we call our ears our ear, we call our hands our hands. Well. No, we have buttocks, we have vagina, we have vulva, we have penis. Like, no, I can say those words. Nothing crazy bad is happening to me. I'm not like, oof, you know, disappearing into a cloud of smoke because I said those words out loud. And we need to normalize that for our kids. 
we strongly recommend in the world of safety and body literacy. As soon as you're teaching body parts, like teach the body part. That's your belly button, right? That's your vulva. There's nothing wrong with it. When I see, you know, a, a girl in for a checkup in the office, like, and she uses the word vulva, I almost like want to fall over because it's so uncommon for them to have that vocabulary, right? Whereas like penis, huh, boys know it's their penis, you know, yeah, like about their pecker or other things, but it's definitely more girls that it's, it can be confusing and it's a safety thing. So that if something's wrong, we can correctly help them. And it, it helps them know my genitals, my private parts. This is my vulva. This part's my vagina. Who's allowed to see that? Who's allowed to touch that? Right? And if you're using other names for it, you can be very easily fooled. So it's a very, very serious, important safety piece. And I think that's the best way to sell that message. Of if you haven't done it yet, no big deal. Now's your chance. Yeah, I think you you definitely um, have raised such an important point. I know we were giggling earlier and we're having a laugh just to break the ice on the conversation because that's kind of a nice way. But obviously, there are some huge implications around having body literacy and being empowering parents to normalize this and empower their young children to be able to understand their body and have the correct terminology around it so thank you for sharing that and highlighting the importance of this anyone listening I hope you'll take inspiration from this and take this message home and really try and I know we're going to I'm going to talk a little bit more about your book um are there ways that parents can read up more on this through your book or are there other resources that you might mention to parents that they can pick up on so that they can maybe learn the right names themselves. Some of them don't know. Like you said, the moms didn't even know in your course. Yeah, Dr. Carrie Leff, my uh, partner in crime, my uh, friend and colleague who started um, turning, you know, who I started turning key with, um, her and I actually wrote our first book. <laughs> Congratulations, um, exciting. You know, it was a um, definite challenge. It wasn't something her and I were like looking to do to be authors, but I'm proud. And it really is a wonderful book. It's thorough. Um, and not, you know, not only goes through obviously proper anatomy, but puberty and some parenting tips. So it's called Celebrate Your Body Too. And you can find it on Amazon or all of, you know, kind of anywhere. Um, and yes, there's so many, right? We're fortunate. There's so many wonderful resources that are out there. Um, another common resource that I would be remiss not to mention, um, I'll give Robbie Harris a shout out. He has a book series called It's So Amazing. And it has different levels, uh, you know, starting with real young through a little bit older, um, but goes everywhere from just basics through sex and teaching about reproduction and sex. So I, there's there's too many resources to list, but part of the, the, the um, purpose of Turning Teen is to provide resources to parents. So we are constantly trying to share, not only in our programs, but through our social media, through our websites, through our blogs, you know, the resources we come across that we love or people we follow and, and you know, get advice from, and that's what we do. We like our centralized place to share information. So that's that's a part of what we do. Yeah, that's the beauty of all of this kind of digital world, I think, connecting people across the world like we've connected. And so anyone else listening, the book that Dr. Klein has written is in my show notes and also available through my website. You can go to Elevate Recommendations and I've put it up there as well so people can have quick access to it if they're looking for a handy resource. And I think it would be a really good tool for us all to have somewhere in our library so we can refer to it. But talking a little bit more about the fact that you said there's zero shame and we shouldn't feel guilty about possibly not having the right tools in our toolbox as parents and educators and the adults in young children's lives. 
I wanted to talk a little bit more about the differences culturally. Obviously, you are talking to me from America and work with families in a Western world. I grew up in Canada, also a Western country. However, as I mentioned earlier, in my family, which has Indian roots, and I'm currently living in Southeast Asia, where I gather the same types of cultural influences can shape the way we talk about puberty and changing bodies. And I wonder, A, if you would agree, and how you think that impacts our youth. Particularly, I'm going to talk about a, a, a recent BBC Sounds podcast that I was put onto uh, by some friends in the UK called Brown Girls Do It Too. And the host of this, I know the name in itself is pretty funny. Um, I can see you giggling over there for those of you listening to this. I can see Dr. Klein having a real chuckle. But it is, it's, I think the whole point of it is, is to sort of strike you as the irony behind all of that is it doesn't matter what culture you come from, our bodies are going to change too. And but the hosts of this podcast are from a Persian Pakistani and in Bengali heritage, if I'm not incorrect, who all grew up in the UK. And they talk about so many of these important questions that we've talked around today, but that they were never spoken to about it until they became, well, another adult never spoke to them until they were of marital age or once they were married. And that was a con sort of conceived as the time that was appropriate to be talking about what's happening with their bodies. And now that they know that their body is meant to reproduce, that that's when they would be sort of spoken to about. Now, how alarming this must be for a young girl and how disturbing it is, obviously, for a young girl going through these changes and not having anybody that she can talk to openly. Uh, of course, they might talk to their friends and their peers, but I wonder what you think in terms of cultural barriers you come across in your practice and how do we manage that? How do you manage that? So one, it makes me sad, right, as an educator, as a woman, as a mom, um, and we have to do better. We owe it to these kids. It's a scientific process that happens to us as we get older, and everyone's going to go through puberty, right? That every, I tell them, every adult you see has gone through it. Maybe it was two years. Maybe it was five years. Maybe they started when they were eight. Maybe they started when they were 12. But, but everybody goes through puberty. So there should be no shame and embarrassment to a scientific process. And we need to take the emotion out of the way we speak about our body. Because our body is a scientific organ that's meant to do things, right? The purpose of puberty is not to get sexy. The purpose of puberty, right? is not just to get taller, the purpose of puberty, is so we can have reproduction, so we don't become extinct like the dinosaurs, period, right? I mean, I, I think sometimes we have to just separate the anatomy from the values, the, you know, the, the science lesson, the growing up from the, the emotional piece to what that means that our bodies can do. And then obviously, you know, Cultures and different families, even within the same culture, are going to have different family values. And it depends on their generations and traditions. And, you know, some families I see the grandparents live with them. So they have a lot more, um, I don't know if it's more rules or more pressure to, to follow in the family traditions and cultures when it relates to how they dress or how we speak or what's okay to talk about, what's not okay to talk about. So, so I think that it just, it needs to be a, a gentle discussion in certain cultures. And I'm not saying it's going to be as easy for everybody as it is in my house where our dinner conversations are full open game. Um, but I do think that, that a lot of this cultural difference and you know, family difference doesn't just affect the puberty piece. I think we're really talking just about adolescence in general, right? What they're allowed to wear, um, what freedoms they're allowed to have, um, who they might be allowed to kind of be friends with. So, so I guess just communicate, I, I would just bring it all down to the basics of communication, somehow open those lines of communication I tell the girls in my office, you know, if they come from just kind of a quieter family, a more religious family, a family who really has no plans 
to bring up this puberty thing, you know, use their doctor appointments as an opportunity. If they have a teacher they trust, talk to a teacher, um, ask a librarian for a book, ask their parent if they can order a book on Amazon, right? And reminding families that are listening, <laughs> you don't want your kid learning about this from the internet. Because when you Google things about puberty and these anatomy parts on the internet, you are not going to come across what you want your kids for, right? So the family piece and the culture piece, that's where you're going to put your values inserted, right? That conversation about sex can be very scientific, but the morals around it, the values, your beliefs, what you'd like your child to know about it can, can be one conversation, but actually learning about the science of sex, that's science. And you can do it. That was so brilliantly put. Thank you, Lisa. Really, I, I think that's such a nice, clear message for all of us to embrace. And I think it's important for us to keep listening to these types of chats from other adults because it, it's easy to kind of think, well, that's what's happening in their house. And But I do think maybe as friendships grow and things happen with young children, the difference is that you said something about each family will have their own moral compass and each family will navigate that differently, including things like at what age they have access to social media, what clothes they're allowed to wear, when they're allowed to try their first alcoholic drink. When you can't ask a trusted adult and you turn to your friend even, each person's body is so different. So the information that your friend has might be very personal to just their body and it may not apply to your young girl or your young boy. So it is very important to make sure you've got the right scientific facts behind all of this, I think. And that's such a good tool, I think, good reminder. One other thing I wanted to say to you earlier is that you know, we talk about girls that elevate a lot because that's what I do as work. But obviously the podcast conversations I've had are very relevant for boys too. And you're a mum of boys. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about uh, for parents listening to this who have or are raising boys, if you feel that there are some greater concerns parents have talking to their sons. And, and like, as you said earlier, you touched on it. Does that then sometimes get given to the male role in person in the house, the male trusted adult, but then the conversation looks very differently because sometimes females and moms and aunts and grandmas can get overly emotional and maybe they take things a different way. Whereas stereotypically, male conversations can be quite matter of fact to the point done and dusted within a few minutes. But I wondered if there was some more advice that we could talk about from your house. So just to embarrass my kids in case, you know, I make them listen to this podcast. Um, they are 13 and 16, so middle school and high school. And just to give you an idea, like boys start puberty anytime after age 10. Girls start puberty earlier, right? So that's why you see the girls growing up and looking like 17-year-olds way before those high school boys do. And um we also have a boys program through Turning Team, and we tend to do kind of what you do, which is talk a lot more about girls than boys. But I think um, that we also, as moms, know and understand at least the basics, right, of girl puberty and getting your period. And... So it's, if we're the one that's stereotypically having those conversations in our house, it's going to be much easier for mom to go to daughter. So um, when we have the boy program, I find that so many moms come and a few dads do um, along with their child. And sometimes both, you know, I tell both parents, I'm like, everybody should show up, you know, and learn it together. So there is a ton for them to know, obviously, about what their puberty changes are and then what that means and what their role in reproduction, you know, is. And um, we also teach a lot about responsibility, consent, you know, and raising, talk about this, my boys a lot, um, consent. And there are ways to talk, you know, I think everybody should learn about that starting at a young age, girls and boys. Right. And we, and we talk about how, um, you know, there's lots of cute videos, actually, you can find on consent to teach that to kids. 
um, and that responsibility piece that you can talk about it, how, you know, it takes two to tango or it takes two people to play catch. If I throw you the ball, I can't play catch with you unless you catch it and throw it back to me. It's two people consensually doing an activity. So consent can be as simple as, as can I hold your hands? And yes, I want you to hold my hands, you know, everything from where obviously the main message is going in terms of safe sex, consensual sex, et cetera. But just that concept of consent and responsibility is important. Um, I think it's important to teach boys about girl puberty and girls about boy puberty, which we do, because I think a large piece to kind of making fun of other kids or not understanding or a boy not having a clue about what this period thing is, why the girls run to their locker and hide a tampon in their sweatshirt sleeve, right? It's because they don't understand it. And when you don't understand something, right, it's confusing and it can be, uh, you know, something that they, they make fun of other people about. So that's kind of the, the, the main gist of, yes, boys need to learn about puberty. There's lots of things to learn in the class they don't understand um, that we clear up for them. And that issue of just being a responsible young man, respectful of, of girls and vice versa, obviously, the respectful of boys. Sure, that's so valuable. Yeah, so important and massively in the media at the moment, massively out there in social media channels. I've been reading a lot about empowering young girls to understand uh, the idea behind consent, but it's equally important to educate boys on, on that. I think that's really important. Now, I have a sometimes I get DMs and I get questions from from followers and lovely parents out there. And I had one when I mentioned it about the fact that we were going to be starting to talk about the body and teen growth and not just the science behind the brain, which is I do a lot of that. I've done a lot of podcasts on neuroplasticity and, and how you can help use the brain. But this is a new topic for Elevate. And one of the questions that came through, which I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, which again, it's just sort of came out that was last minute was masturbation. Is that something that you talk about in your courses? And is there this idea that only boys need to be taught about masturbation. I know Brown Girls Do It Too also mentions that in their podcast, that why is it so gender kind of divided? And what I think the question was, how do you not act alarmed around your children masturbating? How do you give them the privacy to masturbate if that's what they need to do? So yeah, it's likely an awkward conversation and a, and a bit of a hard hitting question, but I think it's important, as you said, to address it and talk about it. So please know that there's pretty much nothing that will make me fall off my chair. So anything is fair game. For your listeners, however, they may be like, hmm, do I press pause? Yes, yeah. you um, Sure. So what I want to tell you is that, and I wish Dr. Carrie was here for me. She apologizes. She couldn't join us. Um, she has three girls of her own she's raising and had some things going on tonight. But, um, you know, we talk about this a lot, that, that pleasuring ourselves, there's no shame in that. Both boys and girls, men and women, masturbate. It is talked about way more for, for boys. And um, we get emails and questions every week about, are you going to talk about masturbation at your program? If so, I'm not sure I'm, I'm willing to come. Are you going to talk about sex at your girls program? If so, I'm not willing to come. So it has been a little bit of a struggle as to, right? Because you still want them to come and learn all sorts of things. And there's always things we're adding, tweaking, changing to our program, even after six years um, to teach it modern, to teach it relevant, to teach what's important, what people want to hear. And I do think we should do a better job about that. We talk about it in our book. Um, you know, and that's a, an issue that comes up even in my office with like two or three-year-olds. The parents are like, my kid's like masturbating and with their stuffed animal and doing things. I'm like, fine. There's no shame in that. It feels good. Kids do things. People do things that feel pleasurable, that feel good. and so. When you get to the age where they don't need to be on your couch while the family's watching a movie and touching themselves and masturbating, you say, you want to do that? No problem at all. We just, that's something we do in private. 
go to your room, save it for later, go now. But that's, you know, that, that's just a common thing that we sometimes have to tell tweens, for sure, more boys than girls when it comes to just sitting at the dinner table or on the couch. Um, that that's totally acceptable. Great. Big, you know, figure out your own body, what works for you. Um, but it's private. Okay, that's excellent. You know, I don't know what your conversation just reminded me about the Gillian Anderson Netflix drama. I don't know if you've seen that one. We talked a little bit about social media. We haven't really talked about some of the programs that are coming in for young people. I'm not sure if it's for young people that we were going to talk about whether or not that some of these programs are made for parents or for children, but it's called sex education. I don't know if you've heard of that. So (laughs) I told Carrie, I was like, oh, I wish I had watched that because I have so many friends that have told me, you need to watch this, you need to watch it. And I haven't. But what I find awesome is that there are shows, right? Netflix, Hulu, whatever people watch. There are shows that are coming out that are about puberty or about sex education. But what is so interesting to me is some of them are like a little too late, Right. They're, they're not made for a 12 year old or a 10 year old or 14 year old to watch. They're a little, you know, PG 13 slash R rated. And it's too bad there aren't more fun, modern, innocent scientific programs um, for the proper age group. So I love parts of the media and TV and like when I love when I'm watching that movie with all the emojis inside out. Yes. And like yes. next time you watch it with your kids, the main control panel has a puberty button. Like, oh my doctor Karen and I were so excited, right? But that's like the mention of puberty. And it's so, so fun when you and now that we've had this conversation, when you start watching like other little movies that are cute and for kids, they do a little like segue. The kids are giggling coming out of class because they had puberty class, right? It's like a new appreciation for it. So it's out there. It's just not out there enough unless you're watching like documentary or a scientific video. You know, we, we need more. We need just more normalizing of a normal thing. You're like you say, I think there's a lot of humor brought into some of these programs in a way, but a lot of the other things in the media art, as we talked right at the start about, which goes, brings us back full circle, is that we don't hear about it until we're super scared and something terrible has happened to a young girl or there's been something quite scary in the news. And then all of a sudden there's this sort of reverse engineering and we're all going back to talk about things that maybe we should have spoken about. But naturally that would totally worry parents and young girls and boys if if it's a scary thing so i think everything you said today about normalizing conversations making it fact-based science-based is so important and yes when there are topics such as the trickier ones around sex consent masturbation my word i think there's just so much for our parents to get their hands on so your course offers a lot of informative tools talking about your course and talking about how we can get in touch with you, Dr. Lisa, about how we can enroll these courses. I've got an international audience. Can people from across the world get access to your course? Yeah, so thanks to COVID and the pandemic, we um, were you know, not doing our live programs in person for a while. So we put most of our courses, we still have um, one that we need to video and, and get up and running, but we have them online is my point. And you can just watch them whenever you want at your own pace. Um, and you can get to that via our website, turningteen.com. And you click on register and then you go to you know, watch you know the video workshops and it takes you to the gallery of, you know, the girls and boys classes. And we also have a social worker that's part of our team. And she does a really beautiful class for parent child of young kids, like eight to 12, it would be appropriate for on anxiety and emotions and tools for the toolbox for that. So that's one way to do it. And then the other thing we do a lot of, like, just like right now, here I am at 8 p.m. And here you are at 8 a.m., do webinars. You know, we do online Zooms with groups, whether it's, you know, Girl Scouts or school groups I've done. Um, 
you know, thanks to technology, I can share my Google slideshow and do the whole the whole thing and have people ask me questions. And that's another way we do that. And we set those up privately just by emailing us. Fantastic. I think these are also important. And I've also just to remind everybody linked the website. Don't worry if you don't have a pen or you're listening to this while you're walking your dog. All the information is linked in my show notes so you can refer back to it and I will make sure it's available on all social media sites as well when we air the episode. For your listeners, there's a coupon code for $10 off. Elevate. Fantastic. Okay. So if you didn't hear that, if you put in the word elevate, into the website, there's a coupon code and you can get a little discount for yourself. What a treat. Thank you very much, Dr. Lise. I love, I love knowing that. So and the, and lastly, I just really wanted to end on, you talk about the word embarrassment and you said I'm, you might embarrass your boys. I wonder though, really, in all honesty, if having a parent who is so well-versed in these topics, um, so openly able to talk to their teens, is there a level of comfort that your boys take in knowing that they can talk to you about anything? Or is it because when it's your own mom, it just never happens? I just wonder how you balance that tricky part of being a doctor and a mom. I don't know if I balance it or if I go a little overboard <laughs> in that everything is fair game in this house. It depends on your kid too, right? I'm raising two boys, same parents, same household, similar in age. They're two years apart. They're very two different people and different personalities. And one of them is way more open in terms of discussions and walking around still, you know, perhaps half naked in my house. And the other is is much more private, but they both listen. And I'm a talker, if you can't tell. So they um, they get to hear a lot of things. And I have a few things. I can share some funny stories, but but I do want to give um, a favorite tip of mine of talking to your kids is do it in the car because you don't have to look at each other and it doesn't have to be so serious, right? And a stare down, is this over yet? Is this over yet? Um, so I think that's a great time to talk to your kids if you don't want to do it at the dinner table like me. <laughs> and um, I also want to remind you an excellent tip is short small conversation. Not try to tackle all of, you know, puberty at once, the whole sex talk at once. It doesn't need to be like a one hour conversation. It can be multiple, like one or two minute conversation. Or sometimes you kind of plant the seed. I was talking to my friend and she mentioned this talk with her kid. Just wanted to let you know. I thought I'd share the information. Let me know if you have any questions. They might come to you a week later while you're, you know, just like getting into bed. Hey, I was kind of thinking about that. What do you, you know, and ask you a question. And you might be so taken off guard at that point because it wasn't on your timetable. Right now it's on their timetable. You might need to say, oh, that is a great question. I want to get you the best answer to it. So I'm going to get back to you. Just make sure you get back. Otherwise, anything, mom's not interested in going there, right? So that's um, two great tips I have for you. In terms of, yeah, in terms of fun stories, you know, we, um, my boys know way more about female puberty than most females. So they could probably give the turning team girls talk themselves. They um, know that everything we talk about, they don't just get to go share at the lunch table because not every family's ready. And, but at least it will be scientific facts if they do share. And um, the first time I had the sex talk with, I'm going to leave you, know, you with a laugh here, uh, with, with one of my kids, with my oldest, obviously, the first time I did it. You're in the car and, and I can't remember exactly like what my segue was. It was something, oh, we were at the zoo and we saw two animals having sex. So naturally on the way home, I have perfect, let's talk about it. And so, you know, I, I, I did the basic description of what reproduction is and sex is. And my son's like fascinated by the whole thing. And he's like, really thinking about it. And he says, wow, so you've had sex twice? Because I have 
two kids. So I left it there and then one day picked up a gun with the help of a book about how sometimes people have sex for reproduction and sometimes people have sex for pleasure. But it was it's just a great example I share a lot because right with as clear as I think I'm being, like I left out the whole piece. So right, the pleasure piece and and you know what else it's for. So there can be a lot of fun with with talking about puberty and sex. I think it's so great when you share your own stories. First time you got period, how you figured out how to put a tampon in, something that's embarrassing. It makes you real, right? It makes like, oh, that really did happen to my mom. Maybe she didn't love every minute of it. That's okay. Well, Dr. Lisa, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, like you say, breaking the ice on so many topics that are worrying embarrassing, shameful. I want to say all these words that shouldn't be. And hopefully after listening to this podcast, people will feel way more empowered and way more knowledgeable and hopeful in ways of embracing this time with raising young young teens. So once again, listeners, if you're interested, I encourage you to go to the website, turningteen.com, which is listed in the show notes. Use the coupon code ELEVATE, get yourselves booked in. I think I will be doing that for sure. And getting this information out there with your youth because it is just so valuable. Thank you, Dr. Lisa, for being here. Yeah, and have a good day. I'll have a good day. <laughs> have a great night yes yeah, so we are recording this over two different days and um it's it's mind-boggling how the internet can help people connect but i feel grateful for our connection so thank you so much for giving me your time thank you and that's everything from us today thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations i hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.